0: So I'm reading verses 1 to 26 of Psalm 44, which is on page 557 of my Bible from the, out there, but it's on page 593 of others, I gather. We have heard with our ears, O God. Our fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made others, other, our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my King and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name for ever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep, and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. My disgrace is before me all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals and covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of our heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, redeem us because of your unfailing love.
1: We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us, redeem us because of your unfailing love. As we read now Romans 8, as Paul deals with this same issue of God's people suffering, I want you to ask the question, how is it a whole lot better in Romans 8? Thanks, John.
2: Romans 8 starting from verse 16 uh, and to the end of the chapter and that's on uh, 1184 on the church bibles The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children uh, we are God's children Now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we might share in his glory. I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth, like, uh, sorry, uh, in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the Who have the first fruit, fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called in according uh, called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also Um, along with him, uh, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: Uh, To keep your Bible open there. Uh, in Romans chapter eight, we're going to be looking through that section. Now, there's a lot in that section. Uh, in one sense, uh, more than what we can uh, cover in a night. Um, but uh, there's certain elements of this that we're going to be picking up on uh, on the way through, uh, seeing some of the big themes: the theme of suffering uh, and the hope of glory. So, thinking about that, when you when you're in the midst of suffering. Um, when things are hard, where do you find hope? Uh, it's said, uh, I've heard it said that human beings can survive without food, without water, without social interaction for varying lengths of time, but no one can survive for long at all without hope. And, and just any old hope won't do. It's essential that it's a hope that is trustworthy, a, ho- a hope that ultimately w- won't disappoint especially when we live in a world with so many disappointments, a broken world like ours. You might be in the midst of some significant suffering now. You might have, in fact, just come out of a hard time or a hard time might be just around the corner. Um, However high or low, living in this broken world that we're in, uh, a world opposed to the Creator, it's going to be hard. It's going to involve suffering, isn't it? So, answering kind of this question, where can we find hope, is something that we need to answer whether we're in the midst of suffering now or not. Now, these are some great verses. We're going to look at it. We've got a, an outline uh, here uh, that we'll go along and we'll jump straight in. Um, the first point there suffering, waiting, and groaning. I'm going to read um, a few these verses here from us, verses 18 to 23 again. And what I want you to notice on the way through is just some of the connections being between the creation and us as we go through. All right. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits, Paul says, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. can you see some of the the connections going on there, as Paul talks about the frustration of creation, uh, groaning creation, what creation's kind of waiting for, and how that connects with us let 's look at a few of them. This frustration of creation that uh, paul talks about it's he's referring to that. The cycle of life and death the 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 bondage that our world is in to this cycle of life and death that characterizes this age, this broken world, it came as a result of our sin uh, the 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 uh, implication or the outworking of God's judgment on us for our rebellion and the effects upon the world and so under that, in the midst of that creations personified here, it's it's kind of given its own feelings, it's in frustration and pain, groaning, verse 22, like in the pains of childbirth, not groaning for no reason, but in eager expectation of what is to come. Verse 19, he says, for the sons, the, the, the children of God to be revealed. There's a connection there between what creation's waiting for and us. And verse 23 goes on to, to talk about our groaning. Verse 23, just like creation is groaning, we too groan as we wait, wait for our adoption, groaning in our suffering while we wait through different expressions of our suffering. As we live in frail and broken physical bodies every day, we're on that path, aren't we? The path from death, sorry, birth, to death. Whether it's digestive illnesses, heart disease, arthritis, cancer, that our bodies each day seem to simply function less effectively. They don't work as well. And our church community certainly knows that physical suffering, don't we? As we care for those in the midst of it. Is that your suffering at the moment? You might be suffering with mental illness, depression or anxiety. That's something that I've experienced and something I need to continue to be mindful of. Feeling like you just can't face the day. Or maybe it's relational. In our relationships with one another, we experience the greatest highs, don't we? Unbelievable highs and joys together. But also the lowest lows. Gut-wrenching lows. Lows that mean you, you just want to get away, run. Maybe with friends, with fellow workers, with husbands and wives parents and children brothers and sisters is this your suffering keep coming with me in the passage tonight there is hope but there's more suffering first you see under sorry more than just the indiscriminate suffering that anyone in this broken and fallen world experiences there's something else going on here. There's suffering that comes to us, to to people who belong to Jesus because we belong to him. That's what Paul is picking up on uh, in verse 17. Look with me there. If indeed we share in his, that is in Jesus' sufferings. Uh, we share in Jesus' sufferings if we belong to him. You know, that kind of comes in a couple of different forms, if you like. Internal kind of struggles and sufferings and external ones. With God's spirit in us, we wait for the, for the fullness of our resurrection life to come. We, we suffer and groan inwardly each day as we battle against the sinful nature and the attacks of the devil. We suffer and groan inwardly each day as we seek to put to death what belongs to the old life, the old self. And when we fail, we grieve over our failings, especially so. You might have gone through or be going through all kinds of different hardship, but if you're a follower of Jesus, then I pray that this one, this kind, this suffering from the internal struggle against sin is one that you continue in, that you press on in, that you don't give up on for the sake of having things easier. But we also suffer and groan under external pressures too, don't we? Persecution for his name's sake. Whether it's the, the general disapproval or, or disagreeableness of friends and family members, when you don't want to compromise on following the Lord Jesus and it has some impacts on them. Maybe it's at work or with friends, uh, where there's just this heightened disdain for your input, for your contribution to the group, or something simply more direct, an insult. or Maybe it's at high school or uni, where increasingly all kinds of diversity in identity and belief are being welcomed and honoured, except, of course, belief in the Lord Jesus as Lord and Saviour. For us, where we live in our country, although the suffering we face for belonging to Christ Jesus might not be life-threatening, at least not at this stage, it's not negligible and there still is temptation that comes with it to try and avoid it, to try and give up. We suffer physically, emotionally, we suffer as Christians. Where can we find hope to keep going in the face of this suffering? Well, that's where Paul takes us on here. And there's kind of two aspects of this hope. There's, there's hope that comes from looking forward to then and there's hope that comes from what God is doing in us now. We're going to look at uh, then first and then come back to now. Hope as we look to then. Come with me uh, to verse 18. I'll read verse 18 again. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings, Paul says, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That is, will be revealed in us then. Uh, come with me down uh, to verse 23 as well. We ourselves, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as, why, what, as we wait eagerly for, the, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. In our sufferings now, in the hardships we face now, Paul says that actually there's real hope, sure hope, certain hope that comes from looking forward, the glorious hope of life with Jesus, the glory that will be revealed in us when, we're, we, when Christ comes. The glory, in fact, that we won't just bask in, but we will share in as co-heirs with Christ. The fullness of our adoption as God's children. Renewed and redeemed physical bodies. Perfect relationships. I've that picture of Revelation 21 and the new creation in my mind. No more mourning, no more death, no more suffering or pain. No more grieving over the way that you've sinned against someone else and uh, struggling with that. I've never been in the pains of childbirth. Uh, that might not come uh, that might uh, not come as a surprise to you. But Paul says like a woman who groans in the pains of childbirth, she, she's holding on to something. She's holding on to the hope that it won't go on forever and that there will be a glorious moment soon when she gets to hold that precious little child in her hands. So we too, Paul says, can endure through suffering and hardship, groaning but holding on to the hope of what is to come, looking forward to then the fullness of life with Christ. I've also never been a farmer waiting for the crops to come. But Paul gives us another illustration as well, not just childbirth, but the farmer with the crops. You see, he points to the first fruits here. And when Paul mentions the first fruits, that's the first fruits that are on the tree, which signal, which is the the thing that shows that more is to come, that the harvest is yet to come. And so for us who have, verse 23, the first fruits of the Spirit, by whom we're God's children in us, by those first fruits we can be sure, absolutely sure of the great harvest of glory that is to come when Christ returns and brings us to be with him. As we look to then we can find hope in our sufferings now that's one one flavor if you like of hope that comes that Paul is pointing us to but there's another flavor as well and it's hope for what God is doing in us now and that's kind of where we turn in in verses 26 onwards now in verse 26 says this is a great little a few verses here verse 26 and 27 um, where God is God is at work in us now, giving us help in our weakness by the Spirit. We could say lots more about this. Um, The Spirit, he says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. That's kind of the weakness he refers to at the start of 26. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What's the help that God gives us in our weakness here that that Paul's referring to? Well, it's that the Spirit is praying for us on our behalf, speaking to the Father in line with God's will. And it's what the Spirit is praying about, that will of God that I want want us to turn to focus on here. That's what he says down at the end of verse 27. The Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Well, what is that will that the Spirit is interceding for us with the Father about? And that is about what God is doing now. Let's have a look at verses, these verses. This, this great little uh, set of verses here that I want us to focus on. Verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now let's step through this uh, and see what each of these aspects is going on. Firstly, the thing that I want us to notice is, what is God working for? Well, God is doing good. If you want to know what uh, what God is... Um, sorry... We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Uh, In this context, in the context of suffering that Paul's been talking about here, uh, there is a sense, it is right to say that God works in all things uh, for our good, but I think Paul is also drawing particular attention here to our sufferings, to our hardships, that in all of the hard things that come our way, God is working for good. God is doing good. Now, at this point, uh, given our experience of suffering and groaning and all of those kinds of things, you might be you know, ready to ask God the question, well, God, what is the good that you're working towards? What is the, the good that you're trying to bring about in all of these things? If you're anything like me, what I understand that is for my good, it tends to be very closely related to what I want. Uh, to what I like, I, I, I want to be healthy. Just get healthy and stay healthy. Not these niggling things that continue to make it hard. I want things to work. Things to, you know, be successful. I want to feel like I don't need to worry about money in the world. I want my wife to be easy to love. I want my kids to, to you know, obey the first time they're told uh, what to do. When I was at school or uni, you know, I, I wanted to be able to pass my exams and assignments and get through those things. When I was going out with my first girlfriend as a Christian, I, I wanted things to work out. And often, well, I just want things to be easier. That's what I understand generally to be for my good, what I can enjoy. Does it sound a bit like you? But. So many of these things don't seem to continually happen. If God says he's working for my good, why isn't more of that stuff happening? Well, I was thinking that maybe it's a bit like, you know, if you've got a, 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 a gauge that, that kind of signals whether something is good or not um, and maybe the calibration is out. Like the scales, you know, the electronic scales at home, if you move them around, you've got to like press a button to recalibrate them so that they tell you the right weight. Otherwise, you could step on them and go, wow, look at that, I've lost a whole lot of weight. And kind of, not really. Well, it's like, has God got his calibration wrong? It's kind of the question that might start to run through my mind. But as we look back at who God is, And if you look at who we are, the truth is that it's me who needs to recalibrate, isn't it? I need to press that little button on me to recalibrate what I think is good according to what God says. And, and, And that's not just because God is the boss, you know, God's the boss, what he says goes. Yeah, that's right, but it's not just that. But it's because of who God has shown himself to be as well. This one who, for whom we were his enemies, who has acted for our good by sending his son to die, by giving up his precious son, all while we were still sinners. As we kind of wrestle with this and, and, and think, try and remind ourselves God is for our good, sometimes it can be hard to to keep going down that line. We can find ourselves tiptoeing down another way. Maybe God doesn't always do what's best for me. Maybe it would be better if I did things my way. But if we do persist walking down this other path, then actually we need to realize what path that is. That's the path... Oh, there's the scales. That's the path that the devil tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden, isn't it? That's the lie that the devil even put before the Son Jesus, in the wilderness. Does God really want what's good for you? Well, you know, you could have, you'd have food. He wouldn't let you be hungry like this. Is God really good? Does he really want what's best? No, maybe he's holding out. He's keeping the best for himself. It'd be much better if you just did things your own way, wouldn't it? It's a really powerful lie that seems to connect with something deep inside us, our sinful nature. But it's something that we need to keep seeing as a lie, keep encouraging each other that it is a lie and coming back to what God says is good. So then what is the good that God is working towards? Well, let's see that in verse 29. Look at the first half of verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. There's a fair load of big words here, foreknew and predestined and conforming and things. What's really being said here? Well, those God foreknew, his his plan and purpose for those he's calling, um, he also predestined, he planned to be conformed, that is, made like Jesus. What's God's will for your life if you belong to Jesus? It's that you be made like Jesus, that I be made like Jesus. This is the good that God's working towards, and it changes everything. It means that in whatever happens when God does things in our lives, His timing is never wrong, it's never early or late. It's always just the right thing for making us more and more like Jesus. We might ask, God, is your timing really right when you're holding off that relief that I, that I feel like I just need, that I can't go on without? Is your timing really right, God, when you bring that extra final straw that feels like it's breaking the camel's back? I want to say no. I want to say, no, God, you've got it wrong. But if I really believe this, then I need to trust that actually, no, God's got things in control. That God is indeed making me like Jesus and that it is indeed for my good. That's something we don't just need to hear once, but we need to... Keep reminding ourselves too, don't we? This is what God is doing in me now, in you now, in every one of his people. The work that God began in you when you came to him, when he called you to him, and the work that he won't fail to bring to completion, he is making you like Jesus. Do you really believe that? Are you convinced of that when you're suffering? not just when things are going well. What would it look like if you did in the midst of your suffering? I don't think it would mean that you wouldn't have any questions, but I think it would mean that we would work hard to keep reminding ourselves, keep reminding one another of it. Now, being made like Jesus, that's that's something that we can have hope about what God is doing in, for, in us now, even just being made like him. That's a glorious reason to press on to endure through suffering. But God actually, at this point, lifts our eyes even further, lifts our eyes further still. Let's uh, look at the second bit of verse 29. You see, if we stopped where we were, we might think it was actually all about us about us persevering through suffering and receiving glory. But let's see what this is here in the second half. We'll read the whole lot. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that is, he's making you like Jesus, so that... Why is he doing that? So that he, so that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters... Why is he making you and me more like Jesus? Well, it's so that Jesus might be glorified, so that he might be honoured, so that he might have many brothers and sisters around him, reflecting his glory, honouring him, bringing all the more greater glory to Jesus, even as we share in it. Surprise, surprise, God's plan for the whole universe isn't centred on me you, but on God, on Christ. And in so doing, it's for our good still. Back when Copernicus discovered that the planet Earth wasn't the center of the universe, that you know that uh, the sun and the planets didn't revolve around us but us around the sun and even then uh, the sun was just kind of one of billions of stars and people's world was literally turned upside down, inside out. They had a Copernican revolution. It changed the way that they looked at the world and thought about themselves. In a similar way, there's a spiritual Copernican revolution that we're being led on here. This is one that kind of only God can bring about in us by His Spirit. Humanly speaking, it comes from understanding the fact that we, don't under, we understand that, that we, you and I, are not kind of the end in ourselves, but we are actually for Christ's glory. By default, we see everything from the perspective of our two kind of eyeballs. But this guides us to see how Christ is at the center and that God's plan in bringing glory to himself actually isn't just us share isn't just us basking in his glory but sharing in it as well that we're not just for his glory but we share in it too for those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified Those he justified, he also glorified. So sure are these plans that God has, that Paul says, he speaks of it as if it's already happened. Verse 30, those he justified, he also glorified. And there's two things I want to pick up on here just before we uh, finish up. The first thing is about how suffering and glory are linked, are joined together. In fact, for Christians, suffering and glory are inseparable. And so that's uh, where Paul uh, began this section. We read uh, earlier for us, um, we read from verses 16 onwards. uh, And in verse 17, we notice this. Look with me. If we are children... Then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And notice this last bit of verse 17. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Suffering and glory are inextricably linked. They're inseparable. Just as for Christ, his path to glory lay through suffering. That was the temptation that the devil brought before him in the wilderness, to, to take the path to glory without suffering. Just worship me, he said, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Now he rejects that and he goes through suffering to glory. So for us who are joined up with him, our path to glory is also through suffering. In this world now, as we belong to Christ, we swim against the stream, or at least we ought to be. And as we swim against the stream, we suffer. It's hard. There's obstacles that come our way down the river, if you like. We're the only ones swimming up the river. But if we're not swimming against the stream, if we're going with the flow to avoid the struggle now, then there's a very real warning for us here, isn't there? That if we're not prepared to own Christ before others now, To live for Him despite the cost, then we ought not think that we can share in Christ's glory. These words remind me of what Jesus said in the Gospels that if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory. As Christians, following the one who suffered on the way to glory, we're going to suffer. On the way to glory. And let's use these words, this word of God, to, to strengthen us together, encourage us to not take the easy road now, to avoid suffering, yet still hope for glory. And the last thing to end on, though, is the certainty of this glory, the certainty of what God is doing, the, the purpose that He brings about in us. You see, this kind of thing is, is, not a, the only, is not only something for us to keep reminding ourselves or to be reminding one another, but it's also something that, that Paul leads us to celebrate, to, to glory in, to take great joy in. The, the certainty of thing, God drawing us to himself, the certainty of it, us being inseparable from God. We haven't read all of Romans up to this point. Uh, But if we had, the cry in verse 31 would stand out. You see, back in Romans 1, 2, and 3, if we'd read those chapters, we might have cried something a little different. Something like, if God is against us because of our sin, then who can be for us? How can we, how can we survive? What, What hope is there? But now by the mercy and grace of God, that cry has been completely turned on its head. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us all things? The hope that we have now as we look forward to the future, the hope that we have now as we see what God is doing in us through our suffering is certain and sure because God is for us and we can see it in Jesus. It doesn't rely on us. It doesn't rely on us holding on to him because he is the one who is holding on to us. And we can celebrate that. We can glory in that with our certainty of our future in Christ. I started with the question tonight of where can we find hope in the thick of our suffering? Where can we find hope when we're struggling to go on? There's hope as we look forward to what God is bringing. There's hope as we see what God is doing in us now. And that's a certain and sure hope with nothing that will separate us from his love. Amen.